0: Good morning everybody. I've been given the job of me reading Matthew chapter 1 this morning, so I'm going to read through that now. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminabab, Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father, father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of... Father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Jeroam, and Jeroam the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father, father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation of Babylon. And after the deportation of, to Babylon, Jeconiah was father of uh, Sheltiel, and Shelteel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of A- A- Abud, and Abud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor. And Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Elud, and Elud, the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to babylon were 14 generations and from the deportation to babylon to the to the christ 14 generations now the now the birth of jesus christ took place in this way when his mother mary had been betrothed to joseph before they came together she was found to be with child from the holy spirit and her husband joseph being just a man a man and unwilling to put her to shame Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus.
1: Thanks, Desley, for uh, reading that wonderful chapter from the uh, Gospel of Matthew. Let's just pray together. Let's just bow in prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we read your word together, it, it moves our heart and it moves our souls. As the truth of the fact that Jesus, the one who was born many years ago would save his people from their sin what a tremendous hope what a tremendous fulfillment of prophecy and father we stand here in 2018 and we're recipients of this act of grace and mercy and your plan of redemption And Father, this morning as we reflect upon this chapter, just cause us to be amazed by your wonderful love and grace. Cause us to be amazed that Jesus came to save. Cause us to be amazed that it is only through the precious blood of Christ that anyone enters eternal life. Cause us to rejoice and by faith believe the message of Christmas. So we ask for your guidance by your Spirit this morning as we look at your Word together. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but in, in recent times there seems to be a increase and plethora of advertisements on television particularly about A desire to know something about your ancestry. I guess you've seen them. You have Ancestry.com where you can apply and even give a DNA test, for goodness sake, and find a little bit about where you have come from if you know nothing about your past. Look, I would imagine that if you went down that track that some of the discoveries could be absolutely outstanding, right? Some of the discoveries... You you might discover that you are the ancestor of someone who discovered the light bulb. Just imagine the royalties. You might discover, your ancestor discovered what a wheel was, or an engine, or a motor. It could be really quite exciting, couldn't it? You could discover that perhaps you're some distant royal person. And you have some claim to some throne somewhere. You could have the claim to the throne of Kilsai South, for all you know. You trace your ancestry all the way back to the First Fleet. But, you know, I reckon sometimes, um, if you went down this track of ancestry discovery, that it could become a little bit inflammatory. could even become a little bit harmful when, as you discover some skeletons from the closet from past generations. I remember once seeing a movie where this was uh, portrayed and I'll just uh, abbreviate that for you. A- as most movies go, this man was trying to impress a woman. You notice that in most genres of movies, it's men trying to impress women. And he, th- he thought he'd do so on the first date by taking this, his lady friend to a place in New York where the, the uh, pilgrims came. And as was custom, when you arrived in the shores of New York for the first time, in the shores of America, you would have to sign your name and you'd have to date the time that you arrived and and note your, op, your occupation. And so this guy thought he was really impressing his lady friend and had the page all laid out for his great great her great 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 grandfather. And as she, you know, you know this type of scenes, it's it's kind of a mood scene and. This is the moment of discovery where they're going to fall in love because of the, you know, I know I'm not that emotional, but come on, drive with me a bit here, guys. You know, you've got this emotion going and and she sees the name of her great, great, great grandfather and he's looking at her thinking, this is a winner. I've done it. I've, I've delved into her history and this is going to be such a wonderful experience as she's discovered who her great, great, great grandfather is. Well, that's not what happened because the emotion overflew, and uh, it was an emotion of being distraught and anguish. And he he looked and says, well, that didn't really go the way I thought. Because he'd uncovered the grandfather's occupation as the, the butcher of Cadiz. He thought the butcher of Cadiz was an occupation. He thought there was a You know, a meat shop where you made sausages. But the butcher of Cadiz was a headline. He was a serial killer. And uh, so you can imagine that this lady did not want to be reminded of her heritage and ancestry. Thankfully for most of us, our family trees aren't like that. But we do know our family trees provide a sense of identity. They identify where we have come from. They potentially influence our history or they clearly influence our history and potentially impact the way we behave even to this day. You see, genealogies at the heart of it prove who we are, where we descended from, and they provide great links to the past. And as we have noted, as we have read through Matthew 1. The New Testament is no different. And we read the following verse, Matthew one one. These words, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. States right up there. This is the book, this is the genealogy, this is the history of the Messiah. The son of David, the son of Abraham. So when you read this verse, you immediately are struck by the fact that we're reading about the Messiah. And the Messiah is identified by using two key Old Testament patriarchs. David and Abraham. You see, this gospel, the gospel of Matthew is written to a Jewish audience. It's written to proclaim that Christ is the King. So to do so, the writer starts by providing a royal lineage. As you read down in in verse 17, the royal lineage is described in this way. There are 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile, 14 generations from the exile to Christ being born. So it's significant for a Jewish audience to understand the very heart of who Jesus is comes from Abraham and David. And what is significant about that is God gave both Abraham and David significant promises. So this is a genealogy loaded with promise. This is a genealogy loaded with fulfillment of promise. And it displays the origin of the long-promised Messiah, the King, the son of David, the son of Abraham. (laughs) You see, not many, not many family trees provide a promise or are based on promises. However, this genealogy is. And it shows that God is clearly orchestrating His divine plan from millennia past not in terms of normal influences and we'll look at that it's not in terms of normal influences here but through extraordinary events that Christ is the promised Messiah so as we consider Matthew chapter 1 the book of the genealogy Let's just look at this very first verse for some time before we get to the birth of Christ, because this is important. When I say the book of the genealogy, this is not a a random phrase that has been taken out of of Scripture. Because what does genealogy mean? Genealogy, from the Greek word, is transliterated Genesis. Genesis. So it's the book of the genesis of Jesus Christ. The only other time you see these two phrases together, the book of the genealogy, is in the Greek Old Testament in Genesis 2 verse 4 and Genesis 5 verse 1. And in both those instances, the phrase introduces an account of creation. In 2 verse 4 it tells us about the creation of the heavens and the earth and it's described as the book of the genealogy. In 5 verse 1 it's the creation of humanity. So it's no coincidence that that as Matthew writes to a Jewish audience, as Matthew communicates the the royal line of Christ, that he uses this phrase very purposefully. Because he's aligning this genealogy itself to the creation account here as well. His readers would likely recall the book of Genesis and recognize that Matthew's gospel bears a very similar title from the first book of the Bible. intends it or his purpose is to give his gospel here a title identical to that of the first book of the Bible a book best known for its account of God's acts of creation and as I've read through Matthew I, I think the whole structure of the entire gospel helps us confirm that this is his intent because the gospel begins with this the genesis of the account of Christ And the gospel ends with this phrase, to the end of the age. So it stretches the origin of Matthew from before ages begin to the end of the age. From the beginning to the consummation. And the whole gospel is framed as that, as as the, the writer communicates, This is your king. He is Christ. He is your king. He is your king. So we see Jesus right at the start here, as the author of the new creation. This does not mean that Jesus was created at this point in time. He was created from before the foundation of the world, and he was the creator of the world. He is eternally from past. His humanity was born, if you like, from this point in time. But his divinity is forever his essence so he's the author of the new creation and then secondly he is the son of David what significance is it to be the son of David let's go back with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7 there are two key promises given in the Old Testament to the Old Testament saints one is to David and one is to Abraham so you go back to Second Samuel chapter 7 You know a little bit about David. He was a warrior. He was the second king of Israel, if you like, after Saul. He was a man after God's own heart. He was a murderer and an adulterer. He was the people's king. Towards the end of his life, he wanted to go and build a house of God. God and this was the response through Nathan the prophet so Second Samuel chapter 7 verse 12 this is the Lord speaking through Nathan the prophet when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers that's just another way of saying when you die I will raise up for your offspring after you, you shall come, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall to be me a son. When he commits iniquity or sin, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And this is the promise. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. This is the Davidic promise. This is the Davidic promise by God. God is unconditional in his nature by giving this promise. He says, I am going to fulfill these things through your line. And three things will be fulfilled. Your house, your kingdom, and your throne notice will be forever it's a promise that a Messiah will reign from the house of David over a kingdom that was promised to Abraham on the throne of David forever it's a tremendous promise and Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise as you come to Matthew, you see that he is the son of David. He is the one who is from the house of David. He is the one who will reign forever. He is the one who will establish the throne forever. Through his work on the cross. So the second part of the very first verse, we have the son of David. This is the Genesis of Jesus Christ, the Messiah the son of David, and the son of Abraham. So go back with me to Genesis chapter 12. Another great unconditional promise of God to his people. Genesis chapter 12, that God makes a covenant with Abraham. Verse 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house. Go to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The promise of the Abrahamic covenant that comes down to to, to the genealogy of Matthew is the the back end, the third component of the Abrahamic covenant, that through all, all that through you Abraham, through your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And that's fulfilled in Christ. Fulfilled in Christ. So Jesus is the genesis of the new creation. He is the son of David, the rightful ruler on the Davidic throne. And he's the son of Abraham, the fulfillment that through all of Abraham's seed, seed, the whole earth will be blessed. And then we see the generations that are mentioned in the genealogy I'll just make a couple of comments about the generations because I think it's really wonderful to see that as you go through the list these people aren't perfect ever think through some of the people in the list here for instance you've got four women mentioned you've got Tamar yeah, that's, that's not a great you know, There's four women mentioned that doesn't mean it's any less perfect than men whatever there's four women Tamar you've got Rahab You've got Ruth. And then you've got the wife of Uriah. Bathsheba's name's not even stated. It's just the wife of Uriah. And I would contend that all four women here are Gentiles. All four are Gentiles. And there is some dark secrets in behind each of their their stories think about Tamar, you think about Bathsheba and Rahab. Yet they're on the royal line. And I reckon the presence of these Gentile women in Jesus' family tree demonstrates God's intention to include Gentiles in his redemptive plan. And for those amongst you who like to, to really look at genealogies in a, a very deep way I'll give you a couple of insights here as well go down to verse 11 and 12 you've got this fellow here by the name of Jeconiah does anyone know about Jeconiah has it come across in your family devotions recently Jeconiah okay he was the last so-called king before you were deported into Babylon if you go back to Jeremiah with me, in Jeremiah chapter 22. Jeremiah 22 says this about Jeconiah. Now you may get a little bit confused as you read Jeremiah because in Jeremiah he calls him Conaniah, same guy. Jeconiah and Conaniah are the same person. Uh, so Jeremiah 22:24, 24, As I live declares the Lord, So Conaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those of whom you are afraid, even to the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So we can see the downfall. Down in verse 28, this is a commentary on Jeconiah by the Lord. Is the man Coniah a despised man? broken pot, a vessel of no one cares for? Why are he and his children hurled and cast into a land they do not know? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus said the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in the sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. A curse is pronounced here. So we've got to do something with this. Okay, if a curse is pronounced the Jeconiah in the middle of the Davidic line, then how can Jesus be the fulfillment of it? You can take it two ways. first way is, is this just referring to Jeconiah's immediate children? Well, secondly, and this is probably where I go, is that Jesus is not a blood relative of Joseph. Jesus is a relative of who? If you want to put it in that terms. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. A miraculous conception. So all the, the genealogy is doing is giving us Jesus' legal descent from David. as it's, ju- it's traced through Joseph's line. But his blood descent and his human right to rule comes through the line of Mary. And you'll find that in Luke chapter 2. He was not in Jeconiah's lineage. So therefore this curse on Jeconiah's offspring was circumvented by the fact that his bloodline was through Mary. And he still maintains the royal privilege through the Davidic line. If you want to have a discussion on that later, I'm happy to do that. And also as you look at this genealogy, some other things come Bear. I just want to just make a note of this because I think this is wonderful to see God's grace coming through genealogies. You've got Abraham to David. You've got this 14 part genealogy there. You think about Jacob passing blessings on to his 12 boys. He passes a blessing on to Judah. He says to Judah, the scepter shall not depart from you. He sets up well in advance the fact that there will be a royal line hundreds of years before even a monarchy is there. It's a promise. It's part of the Abrahamic covenant that rolls through to David. If you want to look at some character traits, turn with me to Second Kings, Second Kings 21. I'm going to look at Manasseh and Josiah. You can probably say, yeah, Josiah, I'm right on with Josiah. That's a great man to have in the lineage of Christ. But you're probably going to look at Manasseh and say, what? Let's just read about Manasseh. Manasseh, Second Kings 21. Every one of the kings normally gets a commentary right at the start. Or he does get a commentary right at the start of how he fears. Second Kings uh, 21 verse 1 Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem he reigned a long time and his mother's name was Hezbollah and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel so you know we've been going through judges you think about all the despicable things in judges this guy practiced them he rebuilt the high places he worshipped the Baals. He built altars in the house of the Lord, fully syncretistic. In verse 6, and he burned his son as an offering. He sacrificed his son. Not a very nice fellow in the line of Christ. And then you see his grandson, Josiah. 2 Kings 22. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Move over to chapter 23. It's still talking about Josiah. Verse 1. Then the king sent And all the elders of Judah, they discovered the scrolls. They'd been doing a a bit of a clean out of the temple. They hadn't read from the law of God for 65 years and Josiah discovered these scrolls. And he grabbed them, he grabbed the people, he grabbed the elders of Judah and Jerusalem and they were gathered to him and, and the king went up to the house of the Lord and With all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. So we got a great gathering coming up to the temple. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. So after 65 years, the word of the Lord had not been heard for 65 years. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of his covenant that were written in the book and the people joined in the promise. Tremendous reform under Josiah and he's in the genealogy. So the point is, God uses everything for his divine plan. Then we move on to the end of the chapter and we have this wonderful story of the birth of Jesus. Now just for a, man, a minute, I want you to imagine you're Joseph because this is from Joseph's perspective. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother had been betrothed to Joseph that means engaged betrothal in ancient Canaan was like being married but engaged they they were set apart physically for they hadn't come together that's what the verse tells us before they came together so the marriage had not been consummated through the act of uh, sex so they were virgins but it was found that Mary was with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, or her engaged fiancé Joseph, listen carefully to these words, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. I could just imagine this, this young man, He loves deeply his fiance. It's revealed to him that she is pregnant. What would your response be? What would my response be? Would you follow the customs of the day and say, let's stone her, for she's been unfaithful? Let's drag her out into a public square and and deal with the the sin of, of fornication and the results of one born out of wedlock? I think we get a remarkable insight into Joseph here. Remarkable insight because the Word of God tells us he was a just man. I would challenge you to look through God's Word this week and find out how many times does the Word of God talk about a man being just? Not many. So this is not just a just man and being morally upright. This is a... Joseph the carpenter was a man after God's own heart, if you'd like to put it in Davidic terms. He was a man who who was obviously searching the scriptures. He was a man who was trying to obtain and keep the law. And it's reckoned of him here that he is a just man. And it shows in his actions as opposed to he went against the culture. Showed God's grace was overflowing him at this point in time because he said, I'm going to divorce her quietly. I don't want to those the words I don't want to put it to shame shows the heart of Joseph and then as he considers this thing he falls asleep and I imagine it would be a pretty restless night right you're thinking through the things you're doing and then the angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream And what I find interesting in this particular text is he doesn't ask to say, well, who are you? He knows. He knows this is the angel of the Lord because he's a just and a righteous man. He knows because his walk in communion with God is, is such that he can identify that this is the angel of the Lord. And the angel addresses him, Joseph, son of David. Interesting, isn't it? Joseph, the one from David's line, the royal line, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Whoa. As an Orthodox Jew, what is, he, what is even the Holy Spirit? What do you mean what she is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit? You would have all sorts of questions in your mind, I would think, but not for Joseph. Because the angel continues to explain the importance of this. She'll bear a son, and you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And by the way, Joseph, this is so significant, this has been written about before. Go back to Isaiah chapter 7 and you will see what Scripture tells because this is what took place to fulfill what the Lord has said by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Fully God, fully man. Jesus, the son of David. What a dream. The dream is a reality for Joseph because his very next action, he gets up. He wakes from his sleep. And he immediately obeys. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Jesus. Very interesting, verse 25 dispels all the notions that Mary had perpetual virginity. Alright? That is a Catholic theology which is removed from the Bible. It's based on tra- tradition. Because from there, if Mary has perpetual virginity, therefore Mary's the mother of God, therefore you worship Mary. No. Joseph and Mary had a a marriage relationship with the, the beauty of the way God has designed it post the birth of Jesus. They had other children we know of. There is no such thing as perpetual virginity. So Jesus... is the virgin born Emmanuel God with us he is the fulfillment of the divinely inspired scriptures which have stated 700 years before when Isaiah said she shall conceive a son and they shall name him Emmanuel and the purpose and this is the sole purpose of Christmas and this is a thing that we lose so often in today's culture is Jesus came to do what? what? Read it. Jesus came in verse 21 to save his people from their sins. That's it. That's the message of Christmas, folks. Christ came into this earth fully God, fully man to save people from sin. And this is tremendous news. Because you know, you may not physically be a descendant of Christ. You may not physically be a Jew in the line of David. But you know what? Spiritually, you can be part of his genealogy. Spiritually, you can be adopted into the family of God. He is the Messiah. He is the only one that can save you from sin. Now this is a thing that must be remended in Christmas and I just encourage you, I see so many young families out here, right? We love the life of, of the family of God. Don't dilute the message of Christmas with your kids. I implore you don't. Yeah, sure, to give gifts and to be generous in that sort of sphere is a wonderful thing to do. But make this message the center of your Christmas message. Jesus came to save you from your sin. Speak to your kids about that, that they are separated from God because of sin. Speak to your kids about the fact that because we all die, that's the result of sin. Speak to the fact that a life without God, the alternative is a life without in hell this is serious stuff and the Bible is so clear on the fact that you are either having your faith and trust in Christ who will save people from their sins through his death on a cross or you have an eternity in hell Tell your kids that Jesus is their Savior. And He is the only Savior because the world continually gives us a message that there's more than one. The world continually tells us that we can even save ourselves. Jesus is our Savior. He's the one that regenerates us through His Spirit. He's the one that gives us new birth. He's the one that unites us with Him forever. Sure, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Savior. This morning, do you know Christ? Do you know that He has saved you from your sin if you place your faith and trust in Him? I hope you do. I hope the Spirit is is penetrating your heart with the truth of that message because that's the only message that saves you. That's the only message of relevance. It's the only message in this world that brings life. And I say with Matthew here, glory to God because Jesus is born and he will save his people from their sin. Now, do you believe it, or do you not? It's a simple question. And if you don't, we'd love to chat to you. It's the most vital message of God's Word. Now, I invite the musons, musos to come up, and we'll sing our closing.